We all agree that we don't like what the tech platforms are doing. Liberals and conservatives have different reasons to mistrust a Facebook or a Twitter, but both bring you to the table to rein in their unfettered power. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, December 22nd, and today, Baratunde Thurston joins me with a look back at the year that was in tech and his predictions for 2023 on crypto, TikTok, AI, and whether the government will regulate big tech in some way. And we try our best, but fail, to avoid talking about the future of Elon Musk and Twitter. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of Powers That Be. Happy Thursday, everybody. Thank you for listening to the powers that be, even as the holiday approaches and everything slows down. Uh, On that note, we have two very slow-witted people here on the podcast today. Myself and Baratunde Thurston. Can I tell you a little technology story real quick? I'd love to hear a little tech story, please. (laughs) I went to Cabo for a wedding over the weekend. Uh, Our good friends, Emma and AJ, got married. Ooh, tough life, tough life. Tough life, tough life. It's beautiful. Um, I set my phone down somewhere at this wedding on Saturday night, and it was nowhere to be found. Whoa. Somebody took it. Anyway, I was on vacation for a few days without a phone, and I had iMessage on my computer, so anything urgent, I could check my computer every few hours. But it reminded me, that's how we used to do vacation before social media and phones took over our lives. You'd go to a different country, maybe. Uh, you'd kind of maybe log in your email once or twice a day to make sure the world wasn't on fire, and... I read two whole novels in two days <laughs> just because I didn't have social media on my phone. How about that? Or at least I think I, that's my theory of the case. At least. Yeah. Did your relationship with your, with your partner change because of this lack of a phone? There was a couple points where she sort of forgot I had a phone and like I would have to go back to the hotel room and she'd be like, can you grab my hat? I get back, like, I don't have a phone. She's like, oh, right, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Our editors here at uh, Puck.News suggested that we talk a little bit about predictions in technology for 2023. You wrote about the promise of crypto, uh, cryptocurrencies in a way, giving um, you know people access to <laughs> wealth and a capital system that previously excluded people of color and still does. Do you think that crypto is dead or is it going to come back again? I think both can be true, actually. It, 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 can be, it can be dead and it can also come back to life. I think largely it's dead. I think, you know, as I've been playing in this world and trying to make sense of it, I've had one foot in the optimist camp of yay innovation, community ownership of assets, financial inclusion, and one foot in the pessimist corner of, nay, we shouldn't financialize everything. This is rife with scams. It's really easy to rug pull and just hype up something that has no real intrinsic value, but only the early investors get paid out based on the backs of the later investors. That story, the pessimist story, is by far the predominant 2022 story for crypto. And it's flushing out a lot of the people who showed up because line goes up to the right and, and when line goes down, scammers are far less interested. Speculators have much less on which to speculate. It's harder to short uh, a system than just to ride a, a rising tide. I think the promises of crypto doing the financial inclusion thing, 
are real suspects and not yet proven. I think FTX, you know, and the revelations of Sam Bankman-Fried, he admitted in one of his way too talkative interviews that a lot of that stuff was a cover to try to grease the wheel so he could grift more, essentially. He didn't admit that latter part, but certainly make it easier for him to operate in an unregulated environment. I think when you lure people in with the promise of being included from a system that has already excluded them and then set up something that's even more volatile than the existing system, there's got to be some reckoning for that. And there's got to be a lot of extra caution and the calls to regulate this have a lot more substance to them. And so I hope that that, that's what happened. Crypto isn't dead, but the easy money and the simple promise are dead. And the idea that this ecosystem will necessarily include folks financially who've been excluded before is less provable now than it was a year ago. In fact, the opposite may be the case because the folks who were banking so much on it at the the bottom of the spectrum uh, are the ones who are at most risk of losing things when line goes down. Moving on to 2023, do you have one big tech prediction for 2023? I'm going to avoid the Twitterverse in answering this question because I don't even know if that's a big prediction. We can all see the train is crashing. It will continue to crash. That's a small 2023 prediction. Twitter will continue to decline in commercial and cultural relevance. Um, A bigger prediction, I think, is around artificial intelligence. And I have a two-parter. I think, first part, AI will face significant pushback in 2023 for its cultural deficits and, and blind spots, so to speak. When we first started seeing the impact of automated systems in search, in image recognition, we also started to see stories of discrimination, omission. Google search for CEO returns 100% white men as image responses. The identification of Black people in photos is coming as as gorilla, not as humans. Uh, We have biased data powering these systems, leading to biased outcomes. There's whole bodies of work, algorithms, of oppression, algorithms of mass destruction, to name two works by Sophia Noble. So AI is going to have that moment again. All this auto software, making images, writing crappy novels, is going to write crappy racist novels and make sexist images. And that's going to flare up as, as a negative for AI and attempt to slow that down. On the other side, AI is going to embed itself in the tiniest little ways of our creative workflows. We're going to feel it like spell check. We're going to start to see automated predictive tools weave into our word processors and script writing and financial programs to anticipate or fill in the blank or help us craft whatever the thing we're trying to craft. Think of Grammarly turned up to like 11 or 12. That's going to be the big AI story. I don't think it's going to be self-driving cars or fully self-writing TV shows. It's going to be this tiny encroachment in an order of magnitude more spaces Uh, especially around text and images, where we're just going to have assistance built into the software we actually do use every day. So this would be, for example, like Gmail giving me hints about what to reply with or suggesting words. Or Katie the other day was showing me this new iPhone feature where she got uh, like an automated Peter and Sunset's photo album. And like it just read her photos and was like, it knows my face. And it knows the sepia tone of a sunset (laughs) and it had this slideshow. Um, And so you're suggesting that stuff will get a little more advanced. Yeah. And I think so a tangible example I cited in in my most recent piece on Puck, 
I have been connected with this venture studio called Betaworks for a long time. I hung out at Betaworks a lot, actually worked out of their office. They helped incubate and fund Bitly, the URL shortener. They now operate these cohorts of uh, startups that they invest in under a theme and help coach them along the way. And the most recent round was called Think Camp. They had Bot Camp before, they had Voice Camp before that. So every year, there's kind of a different focus. And this was tools that help you think. So every one of these companies is integrating machine learning, artificial intelligence, natural language processing, image recognition in some way to help humans think more broadly or more quickly or more deeply. And the example beyond the auto photo album is, I don't remember the name of the company, but people can look up Think Camp and Betaworks and, and literally try out these apps. Take all the notes that you have from your meetings and ingest them into a brainstorm assist app. And it will build the kind of post-it word clouds and link ideas across your meeting notes and logs. So something, again, that you might have a, an assistant help you sort through, or you might just look back over time and like, so what is the theme of my work in this area? It will help auto-generate that. Uh, there's also tools that will help you like browse the web in a spatial way, help you notice connections between thoughts, words, and ideas beyond linear note-taking. And, and the photo album thing that you shed is a great one because we have all these photos. We're not going to find all the connections between them. Most of the photos we take, we never look at again. And, and that's true for the emails we send and the notes we take as well. So if you can take that photo auto album analogy and extend it into the world of text, creative copy, business notes, then you might have an auto-generated set of provocations, insights, and connections that you wouldn't have found on your own. That's going to start to really move or things like it in 2023. The note-taking app Notion is already building these tools in. And so that's my hint that Gmail is going to follow, Google Docs is going to follow, Microsoft Word, et cetera. Clippy's back and you know it's machine learning power. We are lucky enough to have really good editors at Puck and we've had great editors elsewhere who you can bounce ideas off of. But you talking about this makes me think that like if I'm trying to come up with like a book idea or something to write about, it'd be, this feels, feels like a promise to me. Like I would like <laughs> yeah. to maybe have a bot to be like, hey, can you like go through my whole Google Docs and see like what themes are jumping out at you? I don't know. That could be like an interesting thing for me. I think so. And I think it doesn't, it still doesn't replace human editor, but it kind of helps prep and provoke. Big data used to be a thing that we relied on a machine system to learn from, to help us out from the outside. Now we're generating big data ourselves through the media we make and the, and the copy we write. And so we can kind of do it from the inside. Insider big data analysis. There's my big prediction for 2020. Man, we went down a nerdy, nerdy rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take a quick break, Baratunde, and, and come back and just do a little rapid fire round with you about 2023 tech predictions. Welcome back, everyone. Okay, it's time for a little rapid fire. Um, I think you're right. I don't necessarily want to talk about Twitter right now. So I'm going to skip to another platform. Yay. TikTok. Do you think TikTok will be spun off or banned in 2023 from the United States? It is so hard for me to imagine TikTok being banned just outright. Like you can't use it 
in the US, it's IP block. The app comes down from all the app stores. And if you try to log into your existing account and have already had it installed, it won't function. We talk a good game about protecting kids, but we haven't banned gun access to a significant degree in this country. I don't think we're going to ban TikTok. I just, I can't see the regulatory apparatus coming to such a strong conclusion for something that's so embedded in the culture already to which, you know, millions of kids are already addicted. ByteDance, the parent company, would fight very hard to prevent that from happening and make whatever accommodation is acceptable, which is finding a, a steward in the U.S., to fully isolate the operations, the data flows, the management, even to make it a US-based company. It's such a strong product. And even things we do ban, people have access to. So I don't think TikTok's disappearing in 2023, but I do think the pressure is up uh, and that it will go through some ownership change and some operational structural change that allows it to continue. Because these kids aren't going to let it go away and the parent company would rather get a little something than go to zero. People talk about data collection. That's one thing. I, I think the like the subhead of TikTok articles is a little more interesting to me, which is that the algorithm can be tweaked in such a way to influence American public opinion to spread either you know anti-democracy ideas or attack certain people over time at scale. You know, they're not necessarily knowing what like individual TikToks you and I are looking at, although they certainly can. Um, so I do think it's a powerful tool for the Chinese government. <laughs> Watching what China did on Twitter to suppress searches and news consumption about the COVID lockdown protests, you know, and they essentially like flooded the zone with porn. So any searches for lockdown protest or words connected to that, you just got a lot of porn, you know, on Twitter. And, and you know, they don't let TikTok operate in China the way it operates here. Like, they're not trying to get high on that supply. They kind of recognize it. So I think the concerns are warranted. I think we don't know where that information ends up. We do know that these platforms can be manipulated. We've been through it. We've seen depositions and testimony from former employees to that effect on a US-owned, you know, quote-unquote platform like Facebook. We should assume that TikTok will be used for information warfare and has been. And that should trouble us even more when we have no accountability to those who might operate uh, on it. I think there's just a fundamental lack of knowledge in our government about how technology works. Ipso facto, it is hard for governments to regulate technology because a lot of our lawmakers don't even understand what it is they're talking about. Remember when Ted Stevens called Google like a series of tubes back in the day? <laughs> there's some great YouTube clips out there. So is there any government regulation around any kind of technology, around any kind of platform that you see coming down the pipe? Maybe. I can't believe I'm about to say this. Congress has gotten better. That Ted Stevens moment, I think, was the low moment. Um, what was an initial low moment, followed subsequently by the first round of hearings on Capitol Hill, where they brought Sundar Pichai of Google and Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook and Jack Dorsey then of Twitter. And people were just kind of hitting them up for tech support questions about their competitors' products. <laughs> sort of blaming Zuckerberg for things that happened on Twitter. That was the low point. And since then, you know, whether it's Klobuchar on antitrust, Ro Khanna and associated folks, even in a bipartisan fashion on misinformation, on censorship, on openness, trying to figure out a way. I think there could be momentum because we all can agree that we don't like what the tech platforms are doing. 
even though our reasons are different. Liberals and conservatives have different reasons to mistrust a Facebook or a Twitter, but both sets of mistrust bring you to the table to rein in their unfettered power. And we're starting to be embarrassed by the rest of the world, especially Europe, which has taken many, many steps. You look at Apple and the App Store and the concessions that they've had to make around allowing third-party app stores so you can put other apps on your phone that Apple doesn't necessarily approve of. The imposition of USB charging ports on the iPhone, which again came out of the EU, not the US, under the, the umbrella of climate and reducing waste. Hopefully we don't play the lag game with Europe like we've done with healthcare and we just never get around to it. But I think on the tech front, we have our own domestic reasons to bring, to heal <laughs> this form of power, which has gone for so long without any meaningful regulation. I think if you look at crypto as well, that industries move so quickly and it doesn't have the financial controls and regulations that regular finance does. And then it imploded so quickly in part because it didn't have disclosure requirements and real audits that were verified. So we've also seen in rapid turn what happens when we don't regulate. Man, these are long questions. My short version is I am holding out hope that in the United States, our hatred from the left and the right will come together, impose some meaningful regulations on tech in 2023. It's real simple. You know what we should do, Peter? We should just put these up to a Twitter poll and then abide by the results. <laughs> That's another way. We could I love that Elon Musk does these Twitter polls and he's like, the people have spoken and Elon's entire reason for delaying his purchase of Twitter was that there's too many spam and bots. And then he'll do polls now where he's like, oh, the people have spoken. It's like, <laughs> have the bot, what, what? Like, dude, he's you know, ah, no comment on Elon, sorry. Every poll he's run, he's already decided the outcome of, and he's told us the outcome months before he's run the poll, you know, including his, like, should I resign from Twitter? He said that in a Delaware courtroom, November 16th, because he was being sued by some Tesla shareholder who was like, your eye's not on the ball. You're already a part-time CEO. And this was even before Twitter. And you approved a comp package for yourself without board approval. Shenanigans, I say. And, and Musk was like whining about how hard it was to run Twitter. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm working myself out of this job. I'm going to find a suitable replacement. And I'm not long for this. And then he throws a poll up to ask the people, this guy's a clown. I miss that. You're forgiven for missing it. Because there's so much spaghetti against so many walls. The walls are mostly spaghetti at this point. And it's like mildewing and it's disgusting. Because uh, this guy just commandeers attention like a fiend. Um, all right, last question. Last question. Um, and this is Twitter adjacent. But do you think that True Social and Parler and Getter and all these right-wing social media Twitter rip-offs will survive 2023? I think most of them will die. I think some of them were, were created in the SPAC structure, in this like reverse merger scheme, and they're not paying out what they would need to, to to justify that kind of financial structure. Most of them haven't reached a critical mass of users and they're not built for niche. They won't operationally or financially survive. I think Twitter, should it survive, and I think there's a decent chance it will just as a shadow of its former self, but the shadow of its former self will still be larger than Parler, Getter, Gab, Rumble, True Social could have ever hoped to be. So those people will migrate to Twitter <laughs> as uh, Lord Twit Elon makes it clear that that's the kind of speech he really wants to be free on that platform and not speech that challenges his authority. Most of the right-wing niche 
Twitter replacements will die unnoteworthy deaths and their users will flock to what Twitter uh, will become. Yeah, I think that's right. Hey man, if we don't talk uh, before the new year, have a great new year. Thank you so much for these conversations the last few weeks too. They've been really enlightening for me. So thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. And it's good to actually be able to hang out with you this way. Happy holidays, happy Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, New Year, the whole thing. See you in 2023. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 